themselves and 360 the world. Jamie Neal, the host, asks many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. Hello and welcome back to 360 Yourself. I hope you're having a beautiful morning wherever you are in the world. Um, if you haven't heard, there is some amazing news that just happened over the weekend in the US. Joe Biden is now the US president. I mean, that is incredible. I don't know who you voted for. I mean, if I was going to vote, I probably would have voted for, for Joe Biden. I mean, I, I, I've seen so many videos of um, Americans just celebrating the street, people popping champagne bottles, dancing, celebrating. It's amazing because there's been so much anxiety uh, recently over the, uh, the US election. Finally, we have a result, so finally. And so hopefully, and there'll be a brighter future for Americans and also just for the rest of the world. We've got a, a new set, a new idea of a leader and different kind of values, basically. But so what I want to do is I want to move forward. Um, so, you know, I always love uh, all the guests I have on, on the show. Um, I get to learn more about them. I get to learn about how they think. I've, they've always been such a, um, an admiration to me. I just, they, I, they just ooze kind of, quality and just class and i'm really really excited uh to introduce you to um this lovely person who is the global communications and she's also a creative marketing specialist uh she used to work at uh, one of my favorite brands jimmy choo and she also used to work at netta porter and hopper's bazaar um she, well for jimmy choo she was uh svp global brand communication and marketing and I mean, she is definitely the marketing guru, so definitely go to her. So I want to introduce you, Gabrielle Hackworthy. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> I like to make it really... I like to, <laughs> it's a point. I like to make it really meaty and just like present you like, this is, you're amazing. <laughs> oh, okay, no. I'll try. I'll try and be amazing. No, you are amazing. Um, so how, how are you this morning anyway? How are you? Where, where about you chatting to me this morning? Yes, I'm in London in Queen's Park. I'm at home, my kitchen table, which is now my uh, office space as well. And um, yeah, we're in lockdown. So it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you. Mm, mm, mm. And how did you, how was your first lockdown compared to your second lockdown mentally? Are you, are you much more prepared this time? Um, the first lockdown was a really interesting time because it was like time had stopped a little bit for me. And it was the first time after I've had, I've been in, the, in this industry for 25 years and I've worked nonstop since the day I left university. I've always had a full-time job. So it was the first time that I wasn't running around the world 
like a maniac and I wasn't going into an office and I had a lot of time to myself and I really took advantage of that and it was a very much a time to go internal mm. and um and be still and be quiet and be okay with not traveling and be okay with being at home and um I actually loved it I have to say I mean it was tough obviously obviously yeah, it was yeah. tough. But I'm, assu- I'm assuming the first bit was a shock to the system because you you suddenly were just like stop stopped everything you just like well yeah. not work I'm not really working I'm not traveling yeah. like, what what do I do myself what do I do my my energy that I've got to that I've got to get rid of yeah I did I mean that's the other thing like because I've been working I've been on this corporate ladder for so long that um, all the things that I didn't take care of like my health my fitness. Um, things like that came into play for me. And I was really able to, you know, do a lot of things that I I didn't have time. Like I started running, I started practicing yoga every day. I started meditating every day. Um, I was able to do some kind of, you know, online growth, personal growth courses. I was able to, you know, do some extra learning online, Mm -hmm. read all the books I didn't have time to read. So I actually... I I loved it. I did as well. For the for those three months, April, May, June, I literally just read loads of books. I just what did I do? I just did loads of no so, no sorry March April May. I just did loads of like self healing things. Like again, mm-hmm. I was running five days a week. I was doing mm-hmm. online courses. I was doing photography. I was doing painting. I wrote yeah. a script. Like I did loads of things in those those first couple of months, and I just absolutely loved it. And also. The, the sun was out. It was just beaming of like summer. So it was, and we have a lot of land where, where I was um, in lockdown in Devon. So it was just like a glorious kind of summer long thing and just going, you know what? It will come back online soon. It's fine. I don't mind. And then another month came by and another month came by. And I'm like, okay, it's got to, it's got to end sometime soon. Cause we've got to go back to work at some point. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of career women and obviously I'm a mother as well. We don't often give ourselves permission to just be still and do that sort of self care. And like, you know, I never go and have a massage. I never have a, I never have a facial. I mean, I literally don't spend any time looking after myself. I just do the bare minimum, Mm. you know? Mm. And um, so that time for me was like, I had to not feel guilty. It was like, Oh, okay. Today I'm just going to read books and watch movies and do some yoga and cook a meal. I, you know, like I, I was like, this is okay. You can take this day out of your life to do that. It's okay. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. you, you struck me what you definitely are. You must be so driven and so passionate and so ambitious to then not have, because I always believe that for me personally, that every single day you need, I need to be productive. So whether it is mm-hmm. I'm learning a new skill or I'm doing Sorry. an email, or mm-hmm. I have to feel like I'm doing being productive every day because I always believe that you never know when your last breath is and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So to then go to lockdown and to go, is this, if I was, if this is the last day and I was watching Netflix, would I really, really want this to be my last day? That's kind of mm-hmm. how, I, how I think. I want to be productive. But to, to have a kind of life uh, career that you've had, you must have worked so hard over the couple of years. And I'd love to know like how it all started, like where, because you you're from uh, Sydney, so where did it all start? And did you always want to go into luxury fashion? Yes, so um, it started very young for me. I mean, I started sewing with my grandmother. She actually got me into in sewing when I was a young young girl, and then I just became 
obsessed with the fantasy that the fashion world provided me. I remember she bought me um, a British Vogue, I have it today, 1988 British Vogue. And it was the most extraordinary for me when I opened those pages, it opened my eyes to a world of creativity and beauty and wonder. I, I was just like, oh my God, this is incredible. You know, I was like a girl from the suburbs in Sydney and I never had seen anything quite as extraordinary as these images that were in front of me. And so from that minute forward, I just knew I wanted to be part of that world. I didn't know how I was gonna be part of that world, but I knew I just had to be part of it. So um, after high school, I studied, I went on to study fashion design at university. And, um, and then eventually I, I figured I was not that great at design to be honest, but what I loved and what I was good at was the styling and the photography and the whole image making like after we designed our collections, we had to photograph it and present it. And that's what I was really, um, really excelled at. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go into that area. So I went into styling and then I got a job at a magazine and then I became a fashion director and then it just sort of, you know, rolled on from there. So image making um, and storytelling has been something that I've been really passionate about from when I was, you know, a teen. Because mm -mm. you, you, you worked at Vogue Australia and Vogue Japan and Vogue China as well. And did you, yeah. how, how was the, the experience working at these different, same, under the same label, but just a different image or different vibe? Yeah, well, that's actually where my sort of branding and marketing experience really started. Because what you understand when you're working with the Vogue brand is there's so many tenants to that brand that you cannot ever... Um, break and that you have to uphold these kind of brand, their brand identity of Vogue and why it is able to translate over so many continents and so many territories is because it's got such a brand, such a strong brand identity. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was really interesting being able to take that Vogue brand identity and then translate it into the Chinese market and into the Japanese market and into the Australian market because, of course, they are very three different identities themselves yeah um that was that was amazing and and working in japan with the japanese team and and you know traveling to china quite a lot and working with the local teams there was brilliant absolutely yeah. loved it i've always wanted to go to japan i've just literally done a shoot in tokyo over zoom <laughs> and i was just oh, wow, okay. that, was, that was the experience and i just always wanted to go over that i just love the the way the culture of the style of the fashion over there and so did you did you know that you wanted to come to london like at some point like do, do, i think most most australians potentially come over on and kiwis will always come over to london to explore and travel uh, no, never wanted to live in London, but basically I, I left Sydney and I moved to New York initially. Um, so I spent a few years in New York and then my partner at the time wanted to move to London. So I actually came to London for love. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> yes. That's, I mean, but, you, but you never wanted to, to move to London, but I'm assuming it kind of grew on you and then you were like, okay, I love London. Well, now I love it. It took a I mean, I've been here 15 years now, so now it's definitely home. Um, and I can't imagine living anywhere else for the moment, but, um, no, it took, it took a while. It took a yeah. while. And also, you know, culturally, it was very different to, um, America, which I was really 
loving in the early 2000s when I was there. I mean, it was a very different, New York was a very, very different place. Mm -hmm. It was, um, it was definitely a really creative time to be in New York. Yeah. Would you, would you go back to New York and live there like in the future? Like after, after the, like everything settled down. (laughs) I mean, now that, that, yeah, considering what, what happened at the election, I would consider it. I wouldn't have considered it before though. No. No, because I spoke a lot, I spoke to a lot of people about that who wanted to move over potentially this year, but they just they were like, "Well, we don't know with the current president. Like, we just don't know if it's yeah. worth it." <laughs> but, no. now, but now, but now we have a, t- a new president and has different values, and and hopefully we'll have a they'll have a brighter future. Um, I think so. Yeah, I do as well. I, I hope the only so. only hope for it. Yeah, yeah, and so tell me, so. So, that's fast. so we're skipping forwards. So you then you were at Jimmy Choo and you mm-hmm. were the uh, SVP Global Brand Communication and Marketing. So how did that come about? Um, well, previously to Jimmy Choo, I was working for Netta Porte as the editorial fashion director and I launched a magazine called Porter Magazine. And um, we had a very, very strong identity. Again, building a brand from scratch was really, you know, a great experience for me in terms of my marketing career, working with Natalie Massonet and Lucy Yeomans to create sort of what we saw as a physical embodiment of the Net-A-Porte brand and a sort of physical representation of the Net-A-Porte woman was this magazine Porter. So... And I know that um, Michael Kors was a huge fan of the magazine, of the work that I did for that magazine. And um, the owners of Michael Kors, this company called Capri, and John Idol, who's the CEO, they basically approached me about doing coming into the brand to Jimmy Choo and doing this new role. So I was I was headhunted basically. Wow. And so I, I would love to know, when did it start you putting your, your feet on the, your desk wearing different footwear? Like what? My Instagram account, my Feet Up Friday Instagram account. Um, it actually started when I was at Net-A-Porte because we were surrounded by amazing product and um, the whole fashion team, including myself, we would all get dressed up to come to work because we a love fashion and b were in an environment where it wasn't frowned upon to wear like you know diamante high heels to the office it was like regular office wear for us so um and actually someone in my in our marketing department used to make fun of me all the time and they used to be like oh from desk to disco shoes again is it and i was like absolutely desk to disco that's i'm all about that so i started photographing them just just because it was a funny thing to do. And then it just sort of took off and then it just became this franchise. Um, and then because we had so much product coming into the office and I just used to um, borrow whatever was lying around in the fashion cupboard and, and take a picture and people were delighted and loved it. So I just kept doing it. And it's, but it's a, such a simple, easy marketing thing. And it just kind of blew up. And then people would actually go on a Friday and then look at your account. And then I'm, I'm pretty sure most people bought, bought them after that. And they probably saw a, a rise in, in sales from those, those products. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really popular. I mean, when I look at some of the posts, they'd have like hundreds of thousands of views. Yeah. And, um, and then it was sort of imitated, you know, across Instagram 
Um, but I, what I liked about it was this idea of having a power pose and a woman with her feet on a desk wearing, you know, ridiculous shoes. And it, and it was sort of more an idea that, you know, a woman can be a career woman and still look chic and still have fun. Mm. And it doesn't have to be, she doesn't have to be dowdy because she's smart or she doesn't have to be a bimbo because she's dressed up. So it was that idea of like, you know, this professional career woman who also looks great. So like, you know, style and substance. I yeah. Do you, do you feel like the image of, a, of the working woman or career woman has changed over the last five years? I mean, you know, it does change gradually. And I, and I definitely think that, you know, we've come a long way, but there's a long road ahead. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when you think about top CEOs in fashion, even, I think it's still less than, I don't know, 5% are women, female CEOs in luxury fashion. That's mental. What? I don't understand why that is, though. Like, I don't understand how that there's but uh, that's what this is what i was saying about before we got on podcast about this film that i just watched and it was this massive mm -hmm. dance thing for this brand and it was basically about female power and like the whole dynamic and the kind mm -hmm. of stats of men versus women and and how mm -hmm. men are paid more and all that sort of thing and they were basically just demolishing the, that kind of stats and it's just it's i i don't understand it why why even it, it, it even exists like that well it's interesting because I think for me, the most inspiring CEOs I've ever worked for have all been women. Um, Natalie Massenet, for example, was super visionary. And even earlier in my career back at Australia Vogue, I had amazing female CEOs. So um, I definitely think it's something that needs to be addressed. I think, I think fashion is addressing it, but it's slow. It's a slow road. Mm, 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 mm. And what, what have you... What, what have you seen in terms of the, the the shift in audiences as in marketing of the last kind of like year or so? Well, while we go into COVID, have you? Because uh, now you obviously work uh, freelance, and I'd also mm -hmm. love to ask you that that question as well, like why the the shift into freelance as well. So mm -hmm. back to the first question, but have you seen a kind of a shift as well? Yeah, I mean, look, the the shift towards digital has always been growing, but now it is something that is sort of so huge that we are seeing the demise of print magazines and traditional advertising. I mean, what is advertising anymore? You're like, you're not going to make a TV commercial for a fashion um, campaign anymore. Like those days are definitely gone. Yeah. But um, what also the reason for that shift is because, you know, especially during to 2020 is we've all been inside. We've all been, on our phones and on our screens a lot more. So that shift to digital was is sort of like accelerated in 2020. But also now I think when our main focus of information is our mobile phones and not a print magazine, the content has to be so much more engaging on, on mobile. And that's where we're seeing this shift to moving image come into play as well. Mm. away from the still image so you're seeing a lot more animated content you know film content um just anything that moves really it can't be still anymore because people our attention spans are so short now 
Mm. We, <laughs> we kind of need something that's more exciting. Yeah. And it's every time I'm on a campaign shoot, it's like they do absolutely everything. It's like socials, BTS, moving image still. It's like the whole shebang in one day. And it's just like, whoa, so much content to, to shoot and get. And, but, you, but you need it. You, you have to be able to do it. But I was talking to another friend of mine about, there's a guy called Gary V who run, who's the, the CEO of Bano Media and he has and he's basically the person that people go to about social media. And he says the same thing about when commercials were a thing, when print was a thing, even though it, it still is at the moment, but there are these massive huge budgets to go on these billboards and in like Heathrow and stuff. But now I think there's a more of a shift of these budgets going into social media. Do you feel like find that's probably happening as well? Absolutely. And, you know, and onto Google search and, and Facebook ads and it's, it's, yeah, my marketing budget at Jimmy Choo was definitely decreasing in print and accelerating in, in digital on every front. Yeah. Because back in the day, the, these photographers would get huge amounts of money for these print campaigns. And I think probably now it's not the same, same thing because the, the money and the budget is going in other areas, which are, uh gonna get more kind of notice from audiences like you can i'm assuming you can you can more you can regulate more from a social media campaign than you can from a print campaign yeah i mean moving image definitely is more engaging on on you know instagram and obviously that's why you're seeing the the rise of you know platforms like tiktok for example and reels where people are just looking to create more content. And dance is becoming so important. I mean, TikTok is basically a dance app, you yeah. know? So I think it's something that this idea of being a star, being your own performer um, is very attractive. And yeah. that's why Instagram's so, you know, so um, popular as well, because it's like, I don't need to be a model or I don't need to be five foot 10 and skinny to to have an audience and to, to you know take fashion pictures of myself and broadcast myself if Vogue's not going to do it I'll do it myself do you and know that, what I mean and then build an audience that way and then the big brands and the people will then come to you and it yeah. I think now I think nowadays you're seeing a lot more uh, authenticity from people to actually go I've seen a lot more people that have been uh, in situations where they've uh, either been uh, abused or they've been like or they've had anemia or all that sort of thing and they're coming up and they're saying this is I'm supporting it and I'm being an ambassador and people wanting to to fight and seek these people to be part of their community and I don't think that was I don't think that was the case a couple of years ago it was people kept a bit more quieter but now it's like say it be stand up for what you believe in stand up for what you've experienced yeah I think people you know a model or you know following a model this it's so unattainable that kind of beauty but when you see an ordinary woman um or man or you know dressed well and you think oh i could do that i could yeah. look like that you know like it's a much more accessible touch point mm. than this glossy image of a model in some like fancy set design with some incredible gown on and yeah yeah i think obviously instagram's you know definitely a more um democratic platform yeah yeah and so have, have do you find that you've put you've you personally have increased your kind of content upload in terms of like no you, you still think you're keeping the same i've actually decreased my content oh, i think that's the one change that's happened to me this year i've sort of disengaged from um 
uh, Instagram. I don't know. I just feel like there's been a shift in focus and I just felt, felt started to feel a bit frivolous, started to feel a bit not important compared to what else was going on in the world in terms yeah. of my output as, you know, I've actually stopped doing my feed up Friday post because I just don't know. I just didn't really feel like that's where I was right now. And that sort of conspicuous consumerism that I was promoting doesn't feel like where I want to be or where the world is right now. So yeah. it's all about the why though and the message. And I think we, I was talking to uh, some of, some of a friend of mine who's a creative director of an advertising company and you see brands do it so wrong sometimes when they're so product driven rather than the reason why. And we're so aware of what's even more so now, so aware of what's going on in the world. And there's so much has happened in 2020 that you can't not comment on it and you can't just sell a product no more. You have to say something about something. No, I agree. I, I think everyone is like, you know, brands need to have an opinion. They need to have a point of view. They can't just be silent. And I think we saw that during the whole Black Lives Matter era where, you know, the brands that said nothing were really being called out. They're like, okay, and because, you know, your customers, they want to know. They're like, well, what is your opinion on this? What do you stand for? I want to know because if you're not supporting this movement, then maybe I don't want to support you. And I think it was a time when brands needed to take a position, but also do it in an authentic way because the ones that weren't authentic also got called out. Mm. So, you know, I think taking a position is very important with brands today. Um, but, you know, you have to, you have to be able to, to justify that position and um, act. Yeah, exactly. And talk about it. What what was the kind of move then going from Jimmy to Jimmy Choo into freelance and not into kind of another role? Because I'm assuming you could have just stepped into m most roles that you wanted to. Like, <laughs> hey, I want to just well, company. Yeah, a lot of things. I mean, I think for me personally, as I said, I've been you know working every day of my life since I was 21, since I left university, and I was just at a point in my career where I thought, you know what, I just want to get off this merry-go-round for a minute and just reassess. Um, and I thought, you know, let's do the freelance. I've never been freelance and I thought, I've never been freelance. I've always had, I've always been an employee, which is so weird. Um, people are like, oh my God, that's crazy. But yeah, so I just, I just had a bit of a sort of life shift, I think. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I just worked for myself? for a minute and so and so far so good so we'll see but you know if chanel if you're listening chanel if you want to give me a job i might consider it <laughs> there you go <laughs> that sam sam at night will be probably listening and then you'll be like i just say something to chanel um no it's it, it is difficult isn't it though that shift when you have worked for somewhere for so long in terms of the corporate lad and then go to freelance and you've got like infinite not infinite time but your time is yours. So if you want to stay until like 10 a.m. in the morning and sleep, yeah. you can do. And I think a lot of people find that shift quite difficult because they have to be disciplined. You have to find yes. those. But also because for you as well, like you, because you work with so many different brands yes. and, you've, and you've been in the industry for so long, it's, I, I'm assuming it's quite a lot easier to be the kind of freelance and just still keep working with the same people that you work for, just not from a, for a company. Yeah, I mean, right now I'm only working with people I like, so and people I know. So, uh, you know, I, I say a lot. I say no to a lot of clients um, because 
I mean, for various reasons, but you know, one of my um, life lessons that I have, <laughs> one of my favorite mantras is, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. So whenever a client or an opportunity comes to me and I, and I, you know, and I start thinking about it and think, mm, mm, don't know, I'm not really sure. If I think for a minute that it doesn't feel quite right or my gut feeling is it's not quite right, I always say no. Mm. So other opportunities come to me and I, and I, and if I really listen to my gut instinct, I'm just like, hell yes. You know, mm. so that's really my mantra that I use, not just professionally, but even personally, um, in my relationships, um, in anything I do in life, because I think life is short. So why waste time working with people that you don't like or on projects you don't enjoy? Yeah, no, it's so, so true. I mean, I've been, I've been exploring and researching my own, I call it go, when you say go with the flow, it's not go with the flow with, and just say yes to everything. It's actually go with the flow with what you're feeling. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people sometimes feel like they, they feel something in terms of their gut, but they don't know whether if that's the right choice or not. And I think you know whether it's trusted or not. Yeah. And you yeah. just go, you just have to find it and go, what am I actually feeling? Like, you know, when you're at a party and you don't really want to be there and you go, do I really want to be here or do I not want to be here? And then you don't make a decision. You're like, just make a decision. Yeah. No, yeah. I've done that. I've walked into, into rooms and, and I've just didn't like the energy in the room. You're like, you know what? I need to get out of here and leave. Yeah. You know, it's just like, why stick around? You know? I think so. That, but that's, that, that becomes of like uh, maturity and knowing yourself a lot better and going, if I stay here, I'm just going to create negative energy around. I'm not going to have a good time. And then I start going through all these things of all I've previously been through and just go, well, if I know what I'm going to feel like and be like, why do I want to even be here? And life is too short. I might as well go home and just have like a takeaway or something or watch a film and just, and all, all go and have a drink in a bar with someone that I actually really like. Now I think tap, tapping into your sort of internal voice and your, um, yeah, basically your gut instinct is such a great tool to use if you can really tap into it and not have too much kind of noise around those decisions. But if you really like go in turn on, you really think about it and feel it, I think you always end up making the right decision. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to ask you this, cause I don't know if you have this sort of thing, but do you see yourself, where do you see yourself in five years time or 10 years time? Like, have you got a bit, cause obviously you said you had, you've had a shift of like what you're personally uh, attracted to in terms of work and personal stuff. Do you have a, a, a what, what you want to be doing in five years time, 10 years time and, and the projects you want to be doing and the person you want to become? I mean, I think what I want to do like moving forward, which I haven't been able to do in the past, given my career trajectory is have work-life balance. Mm. And I think that's what I haven't been able to achieve until this moment. Um, and for me, it's become very, very important. And, you know, I have a teenage daughter and I feel like the next five years while she's still at home, I definitely want to have time with her and be able to have enough um, and make a lot of memories with her. I mean, financially, I think it's more about, I think it's less about how much money I'm making and more about what brings joy to my life. Because I've been in jobs where I was making, you know, stupid money and hated it. So Mm. now I'd rather make less money and have a more joyful work life. Um, But that's, you know, that's such a personal 
personal choice as well. Mm. You have to you have to be happy and and also I was talking to uh, someone J James from Defected Records and it's like how can you make money and also be passionate and have happiness? Is there yeah. a balance? Like what what is the balance? What do you like? What do you need to make just to be satisfied? Like is anything anything more is great? But what do you essentially need? Is it like to be on I don't know fifty thousand pound a month or hundred thousand pound a month or two hundred? You need to work out what it is and then. Once you worked out what it is, then find that kind of happy medium of, of happiness. Like it, exactly. it's quite difficult to find that going, I don't want to, I don't need any more, but what I do need is, is this. And then, then find that happy, happy medium. Yeah. And then I think, you know, some people, you know, earning, you know, a lot of money is what makes them happy. But personally, that's not what makes me happy. I mean, doing good work makes me happy. Being creative, working with great creative talent makes me happy. Like being proud of my output, being proud of how I, you know, my relationships, um, how I treat people. I think all those things are more important to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think amen to that. Amen to that. I think that's a really, really great place to leave to leave the podcast to leave this episode because I just believe, and I also, and also, you said your bit of life mantra: "It's not a hell yes, it's a hell no." And I love that quote. And I've I've heard many people say it, and I'm like, I really resonate with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember this one. But I, I to leave to leave on this episode is is actually just to find your find your calm, find your happy place, and actually do things that you really love doing because money money will go. But like memories and like the contentfulness will always stay with you. Yeah, and also I think if you're really good at if you're if you've got a skill set and you you're not afraid of a bit of hard work, then you will be able to make money. Mm. You know, if you're hardworking and and you've got a skill set, you're always going to be able to make money. Exactly that. Exactly that. Just, you know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time on the on 360 yourself. Um, I'm. I'm so happy that I actually get to talk to you on this. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This is 360 Yourself and I'm Jamie Neal. Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself, Twitter at yourself360 and our host at Jamie Neal JN. Thank you for listening. <laughs>